Thank you, Mr. Codio. The summons is one of my favorites, and so perfect as we prepare to hear the word of the Lord, two passages that are call stories. The first, about young Samuel, who was ministering to the Lord under Eli. He was just a boy. His mother delivered him to live in the temple, and I imagine his bedroom would have been right here. He slept right beside the word, the Ark of the Covenant. And so as he's sleeping, he hears three times someone calling out, Samuel, Samuel, and he says, here I am, and he mistakenly runs to Eli. But finally, Eli realizes what's really going on. So Eli says to him, go lie down. And if the voice calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make Both ears of anyone who hears it tingle. And the Lord tells Samuel the plans that he has for his people. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. And our second call story comes from the gospel according to John in the first chapter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of this holy word. Has anyone ever said to you, now just who do you think you are? Or when you've entered a room, well now, Who do we have here? Who do you think you are? Who do we have here? And I mean that as you 
and you, and you. As members of families and as individuals, who are you? When the mail comes addressed to you, what does it say on that envelope? And what are the labels that have been placed on you that you accept? What are the ones you have rejected? Who are you? And I mean that as who are we? Who are we together? Who are we jointly as citizens of a country, as residents of a state and a town? Who are we collectively as this congregation? We worship on this land that legally is owned by First Church Congregational of Fairfield, but which was first called Unkaway and inhabited for, we don't know, but maybe even 10,000 years before Christians ever showed up by people who would have said that they did not own the land. They belonged to it and to each other. Who are we? Who and what do we see when we look in the mirror? You might say that some of us in this nation are having something of an identity crisis. As a collective we, I think some of us are like a teenager, denying that we ever used to listen to that radio station, like that sports team, or hang out with that friend. Now we like this radio station this sports team, this friend. Now we wear these clothes. We wear our hair styled in this way. Now we do not believe those things which our grandparents believed. We believe these things which our grandparents did not teach us. Who are we? Just who do we think we are? Following the violence in the Capitol last week, many said as we've often heard following other acts of racist violence and the unveilings of it, this is not who we are. One went so far as to say, we're better than this. But I would correct these statements with, this is not who we want to be. We want to be better than this. But let's ask ourselves, who do we think we are? Who do we think we have been? Who do we want to become? As we remember the legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. today, let's take another minute to look at this portrait. Like all real works of art, you see something new every time you look at it. This week, I noticed that, yes, as David said, it does look as though Reverend King is praying in the quiet of the night, thinking, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It also looks to me like his gaze is convicting me, like he might be saying, now just who do you think you are? You kids might call this look side eye, and you have an emoji to go along with it. If you're near someone in your home, give them some side eye. Say to them, now, who do you think you are? This gaze makes me want to be better. We have a tendency to oversimplify Dr. King and to remember the most idyllic and the most palatable of his statements, 
The I have a dreams, the single garments, the moral arc. The hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. But let's add a few more brush strokes to his story today. Did you know that he and his father were both initially named Michael King? Reverend King Sr., then called Reverend Michael King, went to Berlin to close a world tour he had been on in 1934. 1934, Reverend King Sr. was in Berlin for a Baptist conference. He was so moved by the legacy of Martin Luther, a reformer who was able in his own day to stand up against injustice and to shift the tide of history. And he renamed both himself and his young son, who was junior, Martin Luther King. In his writings from then on, he would sign letters M. L. King. And this was a tactic that he used that one biographer has noted that by leading with his initials, he was preventing racist white people from doing what they so often did and calling black men boy and using their first name to address them instead of giving them the honorifics they had earned. But in this renaming of himself and after someone he aspired to be, he also renamed his young son, And the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birth certificate, although he had been called Martin Luther from the age of five, was finally amended when he was 28, when he felt like he had earned that name, when he had picked up that mantle and begun his work of reforming an unjust system, he felt as though he had grown in to the name that his father had bestowed on both of them. The practice of naming and renaming identifying, questioning that identity, and reshaping it in light light of God's call is so biblical. Abram and Sarai become Abraham and Sarah. Jacob becomes Israel. Simon becomes Peter, the rock. Let's return to our passages for today. Did you notice in the gospel, and our gospel reading comes just after Jesus has renamed Simon, Peter. Have you noticed all of the many labels given to Jesus just in this first chapter of the gospel of John? First, he is called the Word. Then the Word is called Lamb of God. Rabbi, Messiah, the one about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, son of Joseph from Nazareth, son of God, son of man. And then this image of like a ladder. He sees, you will see the angels of the Lord ascending and descending. I thank Ted Smith in his essay in Feasting on the Word for pointing out this exhaustive list to me. Jesus, the one who was in the beginning with God, who created everything that is from words. The one who has renamed Peter, the rock on which he will build his church. That is to say, build us as a community, the body of Christ, and given that to us as our identity, 
we will be the ones who are part of this organism that is the body of Christ, that is the new temple. So to be truly a part of this, we have to understand exactly who Jesus is so we can also be renamed, reclaimed, transformed into Jesus. We are in a season, both in history and now in our church calendar year, that we call Epiphany. You might think of it as a reckoning. Some people say apocalypse, but the word apocalypse just means an unveiling, an uncovering to see what has always really been there. A revelation. If it were presented by a cartoonist, epiphany would be that light bulb turning on over your head, or maybe scales falling from your eyes so you can see clearly. Names matter. Names create an affirm identity. What if our name were the United Church of Unkaway? What if our town name, Fairfield, did not mean beautiful fields, as fair used to mean in olden times, but fair the way our kids use it today? What if this were truly Fairfield? What if Christian came to mean, again, one who follows in the way of Christ, the one who was anointed to preach good news to the poor, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? What if that is what Christian meant? And so next we might ask God in return, who are you? Who are you, God? You are the one who speaks through the last person we might expect, this foster child of Eli, this man from Nazareth, through the person who is discounted and oppressed, through the one who is about to do a new thing, the one who upends all our expectations of who is in and who is out, who is in charge, who has power and authority, of who can lead and who must follow. God is the one who upends all these things, the one who says to us, if we are to belong, we will have to be willing to recognize all others as kin and see the inherent belonging in each other. So who are you? Who do you think you are? Well, who does God say that you are? Michael King was being called by God to be someone. The ears of anyone who heard the plans God had for the people would tingle if they heard what God had in mind. But God was in fact calling him from a very young age to become the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the man with a direct, unflinching gaze. With the power of his booming voice, the conviction of his written word, and that internal composure to practice nonviolence, not just in theory. It's easy to say you believe in nonviolence, but can you maintain it when you are being physically and brutally attacked? He had that composure. And through the power of his nonviolence, he called the nation to this time of reckoning, this unveiling, this epiphany, 
He became the preacher, pastor, prophet who could bring the privileged people of the nation to see clearly who they were and change their minds about who they wanted to be. The Psalms remind us that God knows who we are before we are born, but God also knows that we can lose our way. So our relationship with God is ongoing and often looks like creating, calling, naming, shaping, renaming, reshaping, reforming, and then sending. This is God's process with us. And friends, I hope it is good news. While we cannot change who we have been, we collectively can change who we are growing into as a people. Our texts tell us that even Samuel and even Jesus, they grow, they increase in wisdom and stature. They grow in grace and in the favor of God. If they can grow, if they can continue undergoing transformation, can't we? Can't we become people who are pleasing to God? People, Jesus would say, in whom there is no deceit. I recommend to you the book Native, Identity, Belonging, and Rediscovering God, written by Caitlin Curtis. She writes, We cannot fix what we cannot admit is broken. Let there be no deceit in us when we listen to the correction. Because Dr. King has more to say to us that still needs correcting, that we still need to call broken. He took on the American evils of consumerism and militarism as much as racism. He called out and challenged the way we form our identity as people who purchase and acquire things, and as a nation which is consumed by the desire to be stronger and more powerful than any other nation. Is this the way of Christ? Today, in honor of the lessons of nonviolence, we learn from Dr. King. I invite you to sing the new words to the battle hymn of the Republic, also reshaped, renamed, rewritten. Your peace will make us one. I cannot think of a better way to honor his legacy than with this hymn that sings about dismantling empires until each one of us is free. Let us sing.
Thank you.